Alright, turn with me to Luke chapter 14. This morning's message is the dinner party part 2. Are you coming to the supper? So let me ask you as we think about the message this morning, how do you picture salvation? How do you picture it? How do you envision it? What image comes to mind? Thus far in Luke, we've seen that it's a visitation, it's forgiveness of sins, it's light to those in darkness, it's fishing of men, it's miraculous, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, it's the sign of Jonah, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's a crucified life that we're to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ. And most recently in our walk through Luke, it's a kingdom and a narrow door. And this morning, Jesus is going to point out to us that it is a feast. Jews in Jesus' day pictured salvation incorrectly. On the one hand, they correctly pictured it as a feast. And on the other hand, they wrongly presumed that not only would they have a seat at the banquet table that they would have the best seat at the banquet table. And so little has changed in 2,000 years because Christians today, just like Jews in Jesus' day, simply picture salvation incorrectly. Let me give you two ways. First, many Christians don't picture salvation as a feast. They picture it as a funeral. One pastor said they walk through life with a tombstone under one arm and a coffin under the other. You know some Christians like that? Jimmy and I have said it's like they've been baptized in vinegar, they got quinine in their communion cups. But when we come to Jesus, we're going to a feast, not a funeral. Amen? And second, many Christians presume they'll not only have a seat at the banquet table, but they'll have the best seat at the banquet table. All because they had physical proximity to Jesus, not spiritual intimacy with Jesus. Jesus, And so Jesus is going to correct our thinking. First, when we come to Jesus, like I said, we're going to a feast, not a funeral. And who? Who's going to be there? The answer might shock us just like it did the Jews in Jesus' day. And so the big question is, will you be there? Are you coming to the supper? So stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, Luke 14, verses 15 to 24. Luke writes, When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste 
my banquet. Mm. The Word of God, the people of God, and the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much again for this day. Thank you for the song service that you gave us, Father. Thank you for the testimony that we have heard from Paul, Father, of the work that you've done through his parents, and then, Father, you're doing now through him. Father, I pray that we would consider how we might help him prayerfully and financially. And then, Father, we thank you so much for your word that we can hold a copy of it in our hands. We can open it up today and feast upon it. And so, Father, I pray you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what truth you would have us to take from your word today. For it's in Jesus' wonderful and precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. So three parts with the message. First is the anticipation. I don't want to go a whole lot into this because I really want to get in most of the time in the application, but I want to kind of point out something because we've got to kind of understand the context of this. So look at verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, well, what things? Well, that's verses 12 to 14 that Jesus says when you give a dinner or a banquet. Don't invite your friends. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then you'll be blessed. So Jesus' mention of a banquet and being blessed causes one to piously, as I put my notes, spout and shout. To spout off at the mouth and just shout something. And he says, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And what do you think he's saying? And I'm going to be there. I'm thankful I'm not like that sinner over there that won't be there. I'm going to be there. Don't you think that's probably the attitude that he had? And so, on the one hand, he's expressing the great hope and anticipation every Jewish boy and girl, every man and woman longed for, and that was the coming messianic banquet in God's kingdom. So I want us to turn back to Isaiah. Like I said, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but quickly so you can get uh, some point of this, is let's look at who God said would be there. So Isaiah 25 6 to 9. When you're there, say, I am. am. Alright, enough of you are. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for some people. Is that what it says? What's all mean in Hebrew? All. All. All peoples. A feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, for of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Hallelujah. Amen. He'll take us out of this land of sorrow as we talked about this morning. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. So that's the banquet. So look at who will be at the banquet. What banqueteers? Look at Isaiah 29. Flip over there, verse 18 and 19. It says, In that day the good little righteous Jews will hear the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and blindness the eyes of the blind shall see, the meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exalt in the Holy One of Israel. And then look at Isaiah 35, verse 5 and 6. 
Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And so who's going to be there? Is it only good little righteous Jews? No. Are there going to be some Gentiles? There are going to be some lame people, some deaf people, some blind people, some poor people? Yes. And so Paul points out in Romans 9, hey, it's not all about just being a descendant of Abraham. And he goes on to say in Romans 2 that the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And have you been circumcised in your heart? That's what makes a true Israelite. That's who's going to have a seat at the table is someone who by their behavior shows that they have been circumcised at heart. Now let me ask you if you remember from last week in Jimmy's message, by their actions, did the Pharisees sitting there with Jesus show that they had been circumcised in heart? No. Because they loved animals more than they loved God and loved people. They sought the blessed places at the table. And so they didn't love their neighbor as themselves. And they sure didn't love God. And they invited the haves, not the have-nots to their banquets. So they didn't love their neighbor as themselves. And they didn't love God. And so those, those that thought they would have the best seat weren't going to have any seat. And so Jesus is saying to this man and to us, have you ever truly responded to the invitation to join God at His banquet in His kingdom? Alright, so let's look at the invitation. Look in verse... or Let me give you a little context on this before we look uh, into verse 16. This is how a feast would go then. If you were inviting someone what to say a wedding. This is what you would say. We're getting married on April 3rd. Will you come or will you not? Right? They already know the date. Then you would send an invitation say, hey, I'm going to have a feast. Will you come? And you would say yes or no. And then later the feast would be prepared and they would come and they would say, hey, I know you didn't know that tomorrow is the day of the feast, but tomorrow is the day of the feast. And you already RSVP'd, so come on to the feast. Now, if you RSVP'd and said you were going to come, and then you didn't, that would be a grave social insult to the host. To have said you were going to come and then not come would be ludicrous. What does John remind us? Jesus came to His own, and His own received Him not. And so let's look at the invitation extended. Look at verse 17, or look at uh, 16. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many, and at the time for the banquet he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. So look at Jesus' invitation, Come. It's one of the greatest words in Scripture. Jesus says, Anybody that wants to come and drink, come and drink. Who can get saved? Anybody that's willing to come. And then he says, Everything is ready. Doesn't that remind you of what Jesus said? It is finished. You know what I have with regards to preparing the feast? Nothing. All I do is come and sit at the table. Dr. Moody said, your salvation is spelled D-O, do. Mine is spelled D-O-N-E, done. Amen. Amen. And then now, y'all know one of my favorite movies is Shawshank Redemption. Y'all know The Warden? when he finds that Andy is gone, he says, I want him found when? I want him found yesterday. 
I don't want him found after breakfast. I don't want him found tomorrow. I want him found now. Jesus is saying to each and every person, your time to get saved is not tomorrow. It is not even after breakfast. It is not after you have prayed and had your dessert. It is right now. Because why would you brag about tomorrow? Because you don't know what today brings. I have so many times told people in the office, you know, one of the verses that I think about, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough sufficient trouble. You better get saved today. Do you know how many people are going to spend eternity in hell because Marty shared the gospel with them and they said, well, I'll get saved tomorrow. Jesus said, come now. He's telling these Pharisees, don't you worry about next week. Now is the acceptable time of salvation. Don't delay because there may not be any other opportunity. So that's the invitation extended. Now look at it evaded. Look at verses 18 to 20. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Well, at least he's nice. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife and I ain't coming. So look at these excuses. First off, y'all have heard me say, you know what the definition of an excuse is? The skin of reason stuffed with a lie. A big old excuse to Molly. It might sound good, but it is not good. And we all are without excuse with regards to being before the Lord. And so look at these three excuses. First, you got the Century 21 excuse. I bought a field, I got to go out and see it. Please have me excused. He's at least courtesy and dutiful. But have, would you buy a field without seeing it? Would you buy a $300,000 house without seeing it? And if by chance he had bought this field and didn't see it, what's the hurry? The field will be there tomorrow, won't it? In fact, the banquets were in the evening time, so there's very little daylight left to examine it. So what's the use of going out and examining your uh, field in the dark? It'll be there tomorrow. Second, he says the bovine excuse. I bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. Please have me excuse. This one's a little less courteous. Again, no one's going to buy a herd of cows without testing them. Mr. John Martin, would you ever buy a herd of cows and not test them? It's ludicrous. No, you would not. Would you buy a car, Noah, without test driving it? Probably not. Probably not. Even though you trust the guy, you probably ain't going to buy it without test driving it. And even if by chance he bought them and didn't test them, again, what's the hurry? The cows are going to be there tomorrow, aren't they? And again, it's evening. There's very little daylight. You're not going to have time to test them. So just wait till sunrise. Third, he says, I've married a wife and I cannot come. This is the nuptial excuse. It's unique and rude. Dr. Hughes says it's actually an act of calculated rudeness. There's no legitimate reason for newlyweds not to engage in social engagements. And what's interesting is he probably appealed to Scripture in Deuteronomy 24.5 in which married men were free from military service for a year. And I put my notes, do you know people who twist Scripture to suit their own needs? That's probably what this guy did. And I want you to note that the first two men are men of wealth. To buy a field was a wealthy man's luxury and five yoke of oxen were enough for an estate. And what did Jesus say about wealthy people? 
How difficult is it for them to get into the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. Now people try to excuse that every way, which way to Sunday. Oh, Jesus was, you know, it was kind of hyperbole. No, He's literally saying for a rich person, it's easier for a camel to squeeze through a needle than a rich person to lay aside their possessions and come to the Lord. Amen? Amen. As we'll look at in a minute. So then look at the invitation expanded. The servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry, said to the servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, What you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And I pray you would mark verse 23. Dog ear, your page there, highlight it, something. This should be a verse that we always come back to. And the master said to the servant, Jesus is saying to Crossway Baptist Church this morning, Stop sitting in the pews and go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come into my house that my house may be filled. Folks are not going to show up here. We have to go out there. And so, by grace, He extends this invitation to anyone who will come that His house would be full. So I want to spend the last little bit of time here on application. I'm going to give you ten words. If you want to write them down, you can. If you don't, you don't have to, but they will be on the screen along with the verses. As I looked at this, thought of ten words. Jesus would give us a fresh word on some things here to take this and apply to our life. And the first is presumption. Look at verse 15. What causes this guy to just spout and shout? What causes this guy to spout and shout is presumption. And so think about it. Jimmy and I have talked about this over and over and over. Just because you're a member of a church does not mean that you're going to have a seat at the table. Just because you filled out an invitation card in 1942 does not mean that you were going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Or that you got baptized and definitely not that your parents are Christians. Amen, Paul? Just because your parents are Christians does not mean you're going to have a seat at the table, does it? You have to have your faith of your own. That's why this is very important what he's talking about. As someone who has been in ministry, and then to see the impact that it potentially has on your kids. My children have to take the faith of Jesus Christ. It has to be theirs. They have to personalize it themselves. I can want it for them all day long, but it's something they have to do. Just because we're Americans does not mean that we're saved and going to have a seat at the banquet table. Just because you're Baptist or Methodist or Church of Christ does not mean you're going to sit at the table. Now those things in and of themselves are not bad, but they can be very dangerous presumptions. And so what we need is some fruit inspection. You remember what we've talked about? The door of faith and there's four hinges on it. Illumination, humiliation, detestation, and transformation. Let me ask you, is there evidence in your life that you love what God loves and you hate what He hates? If there ain't, then you may need to examine yourself and see if you're truly saved. Is there evidence in your life, not that you've turned over a new leaf, but you have a new life? If there's not, then you might need to examine yourself. Amen? 
And so then that's you, but then about others. Mark 16.15 tells us to go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. That literally all means you preach it to every creature including your cat, including your dog. Not that they can get saved, but that's the point. Every creature, the Gospel. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. Do not assume for one second any person is saved. That's right. When I go to Covenant High and share during FCA, I don't just say, well, these kids are at Fellowship of Christian Athletes, therefore they all must be saved. You know what I do? Give them the Gospel. Because I guarantee you, even though they're coming to a Christian event, there's kids in there that are lost. You don't assume anyone is saved. And then the Gospel... Brothers and sisters, we have got to stop asking people this. Well, do you go to church anywhere? Are you a member of a church somewhere? That is not the gospel invitation. That is not sharing Jesus with anyone. You didn't mention the name of Jesus. You didn't mention that they are a sinner and their sin is separating them from a three-time holy God and will for all eternity unless the one mediator, Christ Jesus, stretches out His arms and brings them to God. Alright, second is contention. Look at verse 16. Notice what it says. But he said to him. You ever been in conversation with somebody, whether they were a believer or lost, and they expressed a belief in something that was contrary to God's Word? Mm -hmm. You ever done that? Or been in that situation? Mm -hmm. Now let me ask you a hard question. What would you do about it? I hope you get what Marty just said. A lot of Christians sit there like a knot on the log. We can take an example from Jesus' life. Jesus didn't just, when this guy spout and shouted something that contradicted God's Word, just sit there and go, well, I don't want to judge Him. Ain't you heard people say that? Well, I just kind of let it slide by. We're going to bust the gates of hell wide open letting people just slide by in error. Jude 3 tells us that we are to contend for the faith. And part of that word literally means this, agony. Agonize for the faith. Think about it with regards to this. Our brothers, our United Methodist brothers this week had a massive vote. And they upheld the 1972 United Methodist Church policy that the practice of homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching. Amen. And there would be no LGBT pastors or clergy and no same-sex marriages. One lady on Twitter said this, This is devastating. Above all, the United Methodist Church is supposed to be a place of grace and service, not this bigotry and hate. My heart is broken into a thousand pieces. How would you respond to that? I'll tell you how one guy responded to it. He said, So God is a hateful bigot now, huh? I had a conversation with a man in my office that said, yeah, we made a terrible decision last night and I played dumb. said, what are you talking about? And then he went into this. How would you have responded? Would you worry about what he's going to put on your little card to Methodists and that you might not 
get a, a high enough little score on your card. This is what I told him. I said, brother, I said, if the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that those who live openly, unrepentant, gay lifestyles will not inherit the kingdom of God, they should not inhabit the pulpit of God. Amen. And here's what you need to think about. Let's get real personal. If Crossway Baptist Church would have voted on this this week, how would you have voted? Do you believe that the practice of unrepentant homosexuality is incompatible with Christian teaching? Do you believe that we should allow LGBT pastors and clergy in the pulpit? Do you believe that I should do same-sex marriages. But you know what, brothers and sisters, we think, well, that's just not going to happen in our Baptist circles. It's coming quicker than you think. We better contend for the faith like Jesus did. Third is rejection. Look at verse 18. They all like began to make excuses. Remember what I said, rejection was a social insult. Really what they're trying to do is discredit and defame the host. And there's a whole bunch of folks today that want to discredit and defame God. They reject His Word. They reject His authority. They reject His invitation. You know why they reject His invitation? Because they're like cockroaches. They love the darkness more than they love the light is what John said in John 3.19. Fourth is justification. I told you what an excuse is. It's the skin of reason stuffed with a lie. And physically, I hear excuses all day, air day. Well, you see why I can't lose weight is because of this. You see why I'm not taking my medication is because my dog ate it. And I, I, let me tell you why I didn't go to the cardiologist. I, I had uh, something else to do on that day. Uh, well, I'll tell you why I'm not exercising. My, my knee hurts. Uh, I, I didn't go and get that mammogram because it's uh, painful. <sighs> Well, you know what's real painful? Cancer. That's what's real painful. i tell you why my sugar's high. A lot of times it's lamed up excuses. The truth is simply this. You would not do those things even though someone is telling you that you should for your health. Spiritually, I bet you this happens all day, every day to God. God, I'll tell you why I don't pray more than I should. I just ain't got the time. Lord, let me tell you why I don't read the Bible more than I should. I just don't really understand it. Let me tell you why I uh, didn't go to church uh, Sunday morning. You know, I was just really tired from this week. You don't think the Lord was tired when He hung on a cross for you? <coughs> i tell you why I don't give any money. We just can't. I don't think you can afford not to give. Amen? Amen. Well, let me tell you why I don't serve down there at the church. There are a bunch of hypocrites, and I don't like Cassie, so I'm not going to serve down there. <laughs> no, usually they say it about me. I'm kidding. But you know what it ends up being most all the time? Lame duck excuses. Really, the, the truth is just this. You wouldn't. Brothers and sisters, here's the big thing. What's my excuses? <coughs> What's your excuses? Do you think on Judgment Day my excuses are going to ring true? They're going to ring hollow. I saw a quote from Leonard Ravenhill this week. 
he said this. He said, you know, some people think I'm too serious about this whole thing. He said, I highly doubt on Judgment Day that Jesus is going to say, Leonard, you took me too serious. But he is going to say, you sure made a lot of excuses. Wonder how many souls will be condemned to hell because Buffy Cook made too many excuses. Next is possessions and affections. One said, well, I got a field. One said, I got a bunch of cows. One said, this woman that you gave me told me I couldn't go. <laughs> I love what Dr. Hughes says. Listen to this. Possessions and affections cover virtually every reason by which men and women give their regrets to the kingdom. Basically, each of them said something physical is more important than something spiritual. They said the creature or the creation is more important than the creator. Brothers and sisters, as Jimmy will look at next week, Jesus was very clear in verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. We just heard a man give the testimony that people did not come to her wedding and her family because she was that devoted to Jesus Christ. They didn't understand her affection. I love what Dr. Rogers said. He said, God doesn't want a place in your heart. He demands and deserves preeminence. God's throne is not a duplex. He's either seated on the throne of your heart or He ain't. Six is indignation. Look at verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things. The master, the master of the house became angry. We act like God don't have no right to be angry, don't we? You know why Acts 5 is in Scripture? Y'all know what happens in Acts 5? It's Ananias and, and Sapphira. They drop dead. I don't know why God puts it in there, but I, here's one thing I would surmise. I think He's got it in there to remind us two things. One, that He's holy. That's right. Number two, to get this foolishness out of our mind that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are different. God don't change. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. The God of the New Testament is the God of the Old Testament. And while God is love, He is also wrath. And Paul reminds us in Romans 11.22, Note, therefore, the kindness and the severity of God. And let me ask you, your kids ever just disobeyed over and over and over and over? Maybe y'all don't, but hey, mine have. Did you have every right to be angry, Marty? Did you have every right to punish them? And as Amy's probably reminded y'all, if you uh, put the rod on a child, he will not die. That's right. He will not he die. They say on the surely shall not die if you spank them. So we as human parents understand that when our kids disobey over and over and over, not only do we have the right to be angry, we have the right to punish them, but then we say that God, over infinitely more heinous acts, has no right to be angry and no right to punish. I mean, head scratcher. Alright, seven is compassion. Aren't you thankful that Jesus lets the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame... In, 
The folks in the highways and the hedges would have been the, mo- the murderers, <coughs> the prostitutes, the child molesters, the homosexuals. 1 Corinthians 6 says, yes, that these people that live these unrepentant lifestyles will not inherit the kingdom of God. But some of the most blessed words in Scripture, Paul then says, but were some of you. Glory, hallelujah, anybody, I don't care what kind of sin they got in their life that will come to the table, He will forgive them and give them a seat at the table because that's the compassion that He has. We don't have time to go into it, but I want you to go home and read 2 Samuel 9. King David had every right to off with his head Meshibosheth. He was a descendant of Saul. You know what he does? Man's lame, dragging a foot. And David says, come and have a seat at my table. That's a beautiful picture of Christ. You know what you brought to Jesus? You know what you brought to the kingdom? Nothing. You was dragging a leg, you couldn't see, you was dead, you was spiritually dead, you're like a zombie. And Jesus said, come on in and have a seat. Glory, hallelujah, His compassion. All right, number eight is evangelism. I told you to mark the page. Let me ask you, if Jesus come and stood before us this morning, and actually He is here, isn't He? That's right. But if He physically came up here in person and He had to give a report... Is Crossway Baptist Church the type that goes out to the highways and hedges and compels people to come in? <clears throat> Number nine is retribution. Second Peter three nine talks about God's long suffering. He's not willing any should perish, that all reach repentance. And I put my notes, God's long-suffering is inordinate, but it ain't infinite. It will come to an end. The door will shut. And then number 10 is consummation. Dr. Rogers was always famous to say this, what's this world coming to? It's coming to Jesus. That's what it's coming to. Revelation 22, three times he says, I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon. And listen to what Second Peter 3, I just want you to, we're close to the end. Just a few verses after that, Peter says, Since the Lord's not willing any should perish, but all reach repentance, and since this old earth is going to burn up, y'all, you know, I always say, do I believe in global warming? You know why? Because Second Peter 3.10 says this earth's going to burn up. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Some translations say waiting for and speeding up the coming of the day of God. How can we speed? Did you in fact know that we can speed up the time of Christ coming back? Who's ready for Jesus to come back? Ain't enough hands up. I said, y'all must not be awake. Maybe y'all thinking about lunch already. Who's ready for Jesus to come back? 
Now you want me to tell you how you can speed it up? Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Here's the key if we want Jesus to come back, to getting Him to come back. Go tell somebody about Jesus. Support men such as this that are taking the gospel to the end of the earth. Jimmy just fulfilled this going to Pakistan. And so, once it's gone to all the nations, then the end will come. In closing, let me ask you again, how do you picture salvation? Jesus reminds us if we'll rightly picture it, we rightly picture it as a feast. I told you when we come to Jesus, we ain't going to a funeral, we're going to a feast. And the Lord's Supper table before us reminds us of that every time we partake it. Remember what the cathedral song said? Soon, I mean, if y'all wasn't ready to throw your baby out in the aisle after that song, I don't know what. <laughs> Thank you, Coach, for bringing that a couple weeks ago. I love that. Soon we'll rise to leave this land of sorrow. Y'all ready to get out of this place, this land of sorrow, where there won't be no cancer, there won't be no bills, there won't be no Monday morning work assignments? You ready to leave this land of sorrow for that ceremony in the air? The Father then will lead us through the holy land of splendor. Now, I'm going to tell you what, if you can't jump up and shout and be bad to Pentecostal over the fact that Jesus is coming back and He's going to lead us through the holy land of splendor, something is wrong. We should be able to, as Paul said, rejoice always. No Eeyore Christians allowed. A joyless Christian is a contradiction in terms. So then the who? Will your loved ones, friends, neighbors, enemies be coming to the supper? Motley crew of misfits come to the table reminded us there's no one unwelcome here. Just sit down and be set free. The love of Christ compels us to compel everybody to come to this house that it will be filled. And then let me ask you, will you be coming to the supper? No presumption, just inspections. No presumption, dedication. It's a narrow door followed by a narrow road to walk. And brothers and sisters, we have to be 100% wholehearted, committed to Christ that no matter what it costs us, no matter how many fields, how many herds of cattle, whatever, we have to turn down in order to accept His invitation to come to the table. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for this day. Thank You for this wonderful service that You've given us. Father, we know that You planned it from eternity past, and so we thank You for Your goodness and Your grace and Your mercy, Father. We pray that You would forgive us however we have failed You as we come to this time of invitation. Father, if there's anyone here today that needs to receive Christ, that today would be the day of salvation for them. And Father, we know that in that moment there would be joy before the angels of a sinner repenting and coming home. Father, I pray for any other decisions that need to be made. Father, any way that You have convicted us, we trust Your Word has gone forward and will not return void that You will use it, Father, in our lives. For we ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful and precious name. Amen. Jesus said, All things are now ready. Come. There's nothing left to be done. He said, It's finished. The feast is spread. The invitation is free. You're invited. Jesus says, Come to the table. So what do you have to do to come to the table? One is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're a hopeless, helpless sinner 
There ain't no amount of good stuff you can do to overcome the negative or the positive that you didn't do. The only way to stand faultless before the throne is what? In Christ alone. God approved of Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf by raising Him from the dead and He gives you that same promise of eternal life if you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so eternal life is a gift. And you know what you have to do with the gift? You have to receive it. Call on Him to save you. Set Him on the throne of your heart. Repent of your sins. Begin to hate what God hates and love what He loves. Turn from sin to God. And then confess the Lord Jesus openly and publicly because He says if you deny Him, He'll deny you and then follow that with believer's baptism. And so this morning, if there's anyone that needs to receive salvation, just pray that you would come this morning. We'll have a conversation about that. Or as we have time of invitation, if there's anything the Lord has laid on your heart this morning, come <coughs> to the altar. Let's stand and sing. Page 330, Amazing Grace. <coughs>